Newsflash. Street Fighter V had a lot of issues. So today we're going to talk about some of the biggest ones that we don't want to see pop up again at all in Street Fighter VI. And then also we discuss how to learn to jump in at the right time so that you can stop feeling like a dumb, stupid, idiot loser who jumps too much on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. And I just got my second COVID shot yesterday. I know I should have planned ahead better to not do it the day before my busiest day of the week when I have to be on camera, but uh, I, long story short, I didn't have a choice, okay? Yep. But I am powering through for you guys, for the people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record, I'm going to edit. I'm not going to whine about it, except for maybe a little bit right now. Uh, we're going to have a good day. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a morning, too. I went to go take my son to school like I always do, and uh, my car wouldn't start. So it's been, like, it's been one of those days where I'm like, okay, like I've got other personal stuff going on. It's just it's, – it's been a month right now. You guys so, see what I deal yeah. with? This guy, I, I, I have a legitimate problem, and he has to come in here and one-up me with, I had car troubles, and I have to take care of my family and stuff. <laughs> Fine. I'm sorry. Your life is much no. worse, obviously. No, no, no. My it's, arm it's, hurts it's, and I feel slightly fatigued, <laughs> but that's fine. No, no, it's actually, for those who haven't had a, I've, I've had my COVID shot. It actually is a thing, man. It, it hits, it knocks you on your butt in ways that you would not expect it to. Uh, and you, you feel, you feel off because it's like, oh, I just got a shot in my arm and now I can't function properly. Uh, but speaking of not functioning properly, John, I want to talk about what Street Fighter V did wrong. <laughs> Oh, okay. Because, okay, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, that was going no. in a different direction. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> Too much love for you, dog, for that one. And not enough love for Street Fighter V, even though I really love the game. Uh, just where it went, damn it, did Capcom mess up here? And I've got four things that I want Capcom to do better in the future. And this is simply it. it it's like, look, they, they messed up on too much stuff, and I want to get right into it. Now, when you say and the I future, wanna... do you mean Street Fighter VI? Let's not mince exactly. our words here. Street Fighter VI, this is what we want to see. This is how you clean stuff up. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. It's a little-known secret that the odd games in this franchise are cursed. It's just like the Star Trek movies. It all started with Street Fighter One. It was successful enough to spawn a sequel, but it took a while to get that sequel out there. And that sequel was originally going to be Final Fight. But they changed the name of it. They're like, yeah, we're going to call this Street Fighter 89. Everyone's like, this is not Street Fighter. Don't do it. And yeah, so that's how lukewarmish people were on the game initially. Uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, um, we need to return to the roots of Street Fighter 2 and Street Fighter 4. Those games are not cursed, right? It is. Those are the most well thought of games in the entire franchise, pretty much. If you ask Ooh, people around, you like, just it's pissed be... off the third strike fanboys and girls. Well, like, no, 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 that's yeah. fine. You guys can tweet him at, at Catalyst, each Catalyst, <laughs> whatever it is. There's, there's, Are... there's text on it. Yeah, you could put my name up there, right, and just say like, tweet at this. Ass. So anyway, but um, uh, so speaking of Street Fighter Three, while that is well thought of in a lot of people's eyes uh, in the hardcore scene, if you check out Cap. Capcom's platinum titles it's the one entry in the numbered series besides the first game which does not have anything there for reaching 1 million in sales so it would be cool if you know that game was a commercial success it was not um and so yeah the, the curse lives on right and of course we have Street Fighter 5 uh the game has 
<laughs> How many sins could we list of Street Fighter Five if we really tried? Do you think like a thousand? Oh, like that, that sounds like a cool YouTube content video for uh, for us to do at some point. If we if we yeah. wanted to take like a six months out of our life to uh, to count them up, I guess that's your answer there. It'd take about six months to make a video about that. Yes. So. When when Street Fighter 4 was in development, Capcom talked a lot about bringing Street Fighter 2 players back. They wanted to get people to fill that kind of that root, that, that you know, just old school kind of mentality and other stuff. And that was a big thing. And, and I know Ono talked about it a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I know they got Seth Killian back on board by doing that kind of stuff. They're like, hey, we're working on Street Fighter 4. This is my uh, this dad. Is what we're Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, shout outs to your Twitter profile uh, page there. Um, but anyway... Um, Keep in mind, I'm saying actually to reboot Street Fighter VI um, and bring back the classic Street Fighter gameplay that people love. I, I'm not saying to rework it. I'm saying to reboot it. You bring back the, the parts of Street Fighter IV that worked, the parts of Street Fighter II that worked. Hmm. You refresh them. You make them... Uh, a, a new iteration and, and just to give people a, a, this is not a reimagining of Street Fighter like we've seen kind of with Street Fighter 5 and other stuff like that this is a rebooting of it and if you don't believe me that that's a good thing to do look at Mario and look at Zelda they have been doing the exact same thing since the Nintendo 64 days so more than 20 years and those franchises basically continue, continue to iterate on the same formula you know um, in the Super Nintendo days like yes Mario and Zelda played different but as soon as they went 3D they pretty much have kind of the same gameplay formula of course they you know make massive improvements but the same core gameplay the same way those games play is, is similar right in, in street fighter go ahead so it sounds like yes, oh, yeah, you got some issues yes, with that. Yeah, yeah. but i i hear a million voices uh, rising up to talk about how things like breath of the wild is like a very open sandbox game and there there are you're you're right but you're not accurate kind of a thing coming up right now um, but but at the same time, to all those people, we're talking about a, a, a like a particular axis. So yes, there's there's vast differences between certain Mario games, certain Zelda games. Of course there are. But we're talking about the thread that runs through all of them, the formula. And you know what's weird? I was watching a Zelda video this morning, uh, uh, talking about this and talking about Ocarina of Time specifically. We won't get into details there, but uh, that there is a there is a through line um, that that they have found a formula that works pretty well. And they continue to use very, very foundational parts of that formula. I, I can, I can agree with that. Yes. Now, this goes down to, in my opinion, not fixing what ain't broken, right? And if you love tried and true Street Fighter gameplay, you love that, you know, fireball uppercut, you know, the the classic Ryu kind of stuff. That pretty much Capcom. I, I, is it fair to say they invented it? I think so. You know, like it's it's at least they're the ones who made it the most popular, right? And and when you get away from that, when you start going, okay, you you start losing the essence of what Street Fighter is at that point. And you and I both agree that like in terms of the Fireball Uppercut game in Street Fighter Five, like it's finally good now in this season. But like in past years, it hasn't really been there. And that is a tried and true aspect of of Street Fighter. It's like when you don't have that, it's not Street Fighter anymore. It's like if Mario, if you mess with like hardcore with his jump arc to the point where like he can barely jump, he only has like tiny little hop or something like that. Mm. It's like it's not Mario anymore. If Link can't kill stuff with his sword and he has to use all of his other tools, but his sword like it does like one damage and every enemy has got like a hundred life or whatever. It's like it stops being Zelda. Like, and this is my issue here with Street Fighter V, even though I love the game. It, the, the fireball uppercut, that the classic thing where if you pick up this game and who doesn't play Ryu at least a little bit, right? And you can't even do that, you've you've gone too far away from what this game should be. Yeah, that's uh, 
Yeah, this is this is murky waters because there's a lot of like but and 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 little like well. I agree with you. I agree with you at a foundational level, um, and I do think that there is an expectation that Street Fighter players have, and they might not even, we might not even be able to articulate exactly what that is um, until you really sit and think about it, dig down into like, why do I enjoy this particular real-time problem-solving puzzle in the way it exists, and, and you might say in the way that it exists separate to other fighting games like Marvel or like Tekken, you know, like, there... When an artist puts something out there, it becomes not theirs anymore in a significant way. And in the same way that if, you know, like you're saying, if, if you know, famous uh, authors like you know, George R.R. R. Martin or uh, J.K. Rowling or whomever, like, changes some fundamental things that they themselves set up and should have creative control over to the nth degree, you know people are going to get pissed off. You know, and you know that it's going to be a huge deal. And it's certainly, it's, at a certain point, it becomes not yours anymore. And you still have to make it, but you can't mm -hmm. mess with it. And I think yeah. there's part of that in the essence of what the expectations are for Street Fighter. And when you deviate from those too far, when it becomes too much of a Marvel kind of game, as opposed to a Street Fighter game, uh, people get pissed off. And, and we saw mm -hmm. that happen a lot in the way Street Fighter V worked. Yes. And uh, looking back at it now, if, if you look at Street Fighter 2, obviously that's where the Fireball Uppercut game, like, you know, that kind of style pioneered for the most part. It happened a little bit in Street Fighter 1, but you were lucky in that game if you could throw out moves, right? Yeah. And But you look at Street Fighter 3, they had to go away from that because of parries. Parries actually completely negated basically that classic Fireball zoning game. Shout out to Street Fighter 3 not even being able to sell a million copies as far as we know on any platform. Yeah, across yeah. one axis, but I mean, a lot of people still found that game fun to play in the in the Street Fighter identity, right? Like, yeah, so it, it it's it's maybe the least successful commercial Street Fighter game ever done. Sure, uh, and outside of Street Fighter One. So again, this is what I, I'm talking kind of about the masses here, because like the hardcore people you know, they'll kind of pick up stuff and go with it. But uh, you look at the games that nailed it, that's Street Fighter 2 and Street Fighter 4. You could do the Fireball Uppercut game not only with Ryu, but a bunch of other characters in Street Fighter 4. You look at it in Street Fighter 5, and it's it's hit and miss. It's it's there now, finally, in this season. I'm playing Rose. She can do that pretty darn well. Um, uh, I think even, you know, Nikali, like, even to some degree now can do it, like, mm -hmm. with his ground pound and uppercut and other stuff like that. You're seeing that kind of mid-range zoning style that this franchise is known for coming back mm -hmm. right uh, i remember harada talking about it a lot where he was like look like adding fireballs into uh tekken cross street fighter if that ever happens is a huge deal like that you need to make projectiles something important because they are iconic to what street fighter is yeah. they are so important to it and that's why a lot of people did not like street fighter 3 because fireballs weren't entirely negated but they were they were definitely dialed back a lot so right? i don't want to get too stuck on this point but i also I, there's there's something i want to dig into here um, because the way this has been set up so far if i wanted to pick at or try to punch a hole in your boat so to speak i might say something like well you say that you need a fireball uppercut style of play some of the characters don't even have fireballs or uppercuts and they're right. in Street Fighter, rectify that for me. Well, okay, it, it's about having a diversity of styles, actually, and gameplay styles. That actually brings me to my next point, uh, and that's uh, twofold here. Uh, my, the second thing that, that Capcom needs to do to fix uh, uh, 
Street Fighter kind of where it's at is have more launch characters and more gameplay diversity in those characters. And to directly answer your question, so let, let, let me break this down. It's going to be a little bit long form. I'm going to give you the, the politician answer, right? You ask a simple question. I'm like, well, let me let me take a while to answer that and answer it in a variety of ways. Well, right? Listen so, to politician John. <laughs> so here it is. Um, Street Fighter 4, when it hit the consoles, it launched with 25 characters. Street Fighter 5 launched with 16. Smash Ultimate had 74, Tekken 7, 37, and Mortal Kombat 11, 25. Street Fighter V's launch roster is pretty paltry by that comparison. And with that, your opportunities to have gameplay diversity in the characters were also limited. Mm. We had uh, the Brawler uh, Grappler archetypes. We had one-fourth of the launch cast with that approach mm-hmm. kind of thing and this is usually a pretty like grappler types and fighting games are pretty niche you usually have two or something like that on the launch roster um, you don't have as many as this game and it's why so many people are like grappler fighter four or grappler fighter five sorry um, I get my numbers confused there sure. uh, then of course you had the rushdown style right which has been hardcore dominant in street fighter five and that was filled up by Cami, karen kin and bison nikali and rashid all characters who have either been at the top of the tier list um, are at the very, like, very top. Like, uh, it, it's, I know Bison was kind of started out kind of whatever, but he got up there, right? <laughs> yeah. Rashid started out as whatever and then became, like, the top character in the game. I'm I'm naming the big-time killers in this game. Ken has been mixed after Season 1 and kind of maybe Season 2, but he was up there at some point in time. Uh, that's six characters, all Rushdown style, who... You know, so, okay, mm-hmm. so then you have your long-range donors and Dalsam and Fong, right? Um, and the latter voice has pretty much been a non-factor at high levels of play. Uh, Dalsam's been in there, so he's fine, but two characters oc- occupying that long-range kind of zoner role, mm-hmm. right? Finally, we come to the mid-range zoners, and... These are, again, when I say mid-range donors, I'm often talking about the fireball uppercuts are like they play from mid-range, do a lot of fireballs usually to kind of like get you to jump and then anti-air you. Um, So that would be Ryu, Chun-Li, Nash, um, and Vega, right? And uh, this also can be coupled in Vega would be uh, keeping you at bay with long-reaching normals, right? Now, Vega's not going to play from full screen. He's going to play from mid-screen, mid-range donors, right? Uh, All those characters... When they were winning, like when Shen Li and Ryu were winning, they were winning on getting in your face yeah. and doing mix-ups. Same thing with Nash. Nash was, you know, he was doing a few fireballs. He was doing more than Ryu and Chun-Li were, but not a lot. He was this dashing was not... up to you and making your life hell because you couldn't see the advances, and then he was just there and could do his thing. Yeah. Yes, so you had four characters filling that archetype, um, but none of them were particularly good at that. And so this whole thing kind of like, it was just like, all right, this whole thing that we're known for, this whole thing that, that street makes Street Fighter Street Fighter doesn't work that well in this game. Well, wait, 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 because those are, you just named like the three best characters in the game in season one, right? Nash, Chun, and right. Ryu. And then maybe you could talk about Mika there too, but 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 you're She's saying long term, yeah. like, like uh, just clarify that for me real quick because... Yeah, okay, so Ryu and Chun-Li, when they were winning and so was Nash, they were getting, they were doing oh, they were doing face. it they were via not winning. rushdown. They weren't doing they it They were via... doing it via rushdown, exactly. Exactly. Cool. And so you've taken this whole gameplay style. You've you've altered Mario's jump arc. You've altered Link's sword ability and stuff. Like, you know, he just doesn't have the attacks. It doesn't work like it used to. And it's like that's an iconic moment uh, in, in gaming history that you've taken off the table or you've mitigated it. I shouldn't say taken off the table because you can do some fireball uppercuts or that mid-range zoning in this game. It's just it's such a, a nil factor overall. Mm-hmm. And what I want to see Capcom do to fix this is have more launch characters this next time around. Not have freaking 16, but have maybe like 26. That would give you 10 
and more characters. And and just to, to fill in some of the blanks here on some of the characters, if they if they did 26 and they just released the, the same next 10 characters, you would have gotten people like Guile, Colleen, and Manat in the next batch. And instead of having to wait a year where a lot of people had checked out on Street Fighter V for the lack of content, lack of other stuff, you would have had those characters in there from the launch and they would have been, you know, impacting the game like you can zone with Colleen you can zone with, with Guile you can zone with Minot that all that stuff was all missing for the game for about a year mm-hmm. and and that's what come I, I think the small roster and the lack of gameplay diversity in that like it just it was a it was a death knell for this game in terms of people who wanted the the classic Street Fighter experience in there yeah and I, I don't think we can talk about uh, like launch expectations without getting at least a little bit into the fact that I think uh, much of Street Fighter 5's problems started with the fact that it, the whole thing was rushed, right? Because it yes. wasn't just an, uh, a 16 character roster that needed more characters in this case. It was also an incomplete game in multiple parts of the game, right? Single player content and uh, <laughs> no store and the roster and the list goes on and like no the regulations for online with uh, no penalties for rage quitting. There were plenty I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some of the points you're going to bring That's up in our, the future. I mean, it's, but, it's hard not to. You mentioned anything about Street Fighter five and you're gonna you're gonna talk about the million things we've got to bring up right right? so so and and i appreciate that you're very much digging into the details there but in terms of changing what happened with street fighter 5 one of the very first places that you go is say uh don't rush it out don't try to get it out for a cpt season if it's not ready it is not worth it guys developers investors hear me when i say Take the sacrifice of delaying whatever you need to do. Get that stuff done, and I think they know that too. I think that they've they've learned that lesson seen. for the Knockwood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ono left. Uh, he's now with you know another company and stuff like that. And you know we heard the rumors that it basically. Um, the Street Fighter Six kind of got messed up, and they needed another year of development time, and they're taking it basically. So you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so the number one thing uh, I just mentioned was, of course, bring back you know the classic tried and true Street Fighter gameplay as close to Street Fighter Two and Street Fighter Four as you can. The two most beloved entries in the franchise bring back that core gameplay next is is have um a bigger launch roster uh with um you know more diverse gameplay in there you mm-hmm. know kind of thing uh, get as much of the classic stuff people love in there get get an fadc character you know our two or three of them in there right from the get-go since people love fadc's like do stuff like that to bring it back right so th- those are number one and two the third thing here to fix out of the four is launch with strong single player content. Oh. I know this is going to be pretty damn obvious, uh, and I'm going to make an easy comparison here, and that's the the 30th anniversary collection of Street Fighter uh, that that came out a couple years ago, uh, and you can still go back and play the vast majority of the games in there and have a really good single player experience. There are a bunch of endings, and there's so much content to go through for a fighting game. Uh, I actually just recently completed Rose's arcade mode in Street Fighter Five, and I actually think that Street Fighter Two has a better overall executed arcade mode. And that game came out 30 years. That ago. game set the 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 standard for it, didn't it? Like that was the I, I'm, again, not to say that Street Fighter Two was the first to do all of these things, but also history is written by the winners, and it kind of was the first to do a lot of these. Things it as was far written as by Capcom. <laughs> it was written by their own damn company. <laughs> Sorry, but anyway, you were saying. Well, in in what ways, like particularly, was Street Fighter Two's like? What are the perks of it that we were missing from? Well, obviously, Street Fighter Five. We didn't have an arcade mode, but when we did get an arcade mode, what were the perks that that uh, Five doesn't One, have? I mean. It actually has actual endings. Right now, if you beat arcade mode with Rose or any other character, you get one panel, and her panel is like her pulling the wrong card and Zeku coming up and going, ha, 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 you pulled the wrong card, and then it ends. 
and it's like what and the presentation is terrible there's no world map that you go and you fly around uh, there's no like you know it, it doesn't set up the boss characters all there's no intro Dude, like text, the boss like, characters the 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 separation one that you like at least in the first ones couldn't play as them they were separated mm-hmm. and there was something special about that now i get it today in, in this day and age you don't that that's not as common maybe except for maybe one like super mortal Kombat boss i guess they still do that kind of a thing but in street fighter it's like we've assimilated all the boss characters into the playable characters i get it but there was something magical about that and beating them yeah. meant something because they were hard and and it was it was it was like you got to a new level when you were able to beat Vega, Balrog, and, and Sagat, and then eventually Bison. And then, hey, I, I didn't do it as a kid, but Akuma, uh, hot yeah. damn. It was, there was magic about that. Even Street Fighter Four has a proper presentation for their arcade mode. Like you, you launch it up there, your character intro pops up there, and they're like, "This is why I'm fighting or what I'm doing." And then you have an actual ending on top of it. You don't have a, a one panel. And I get that, you know, it got replaced by the the character story modes and a bunch of other stuff. But it's like arcade mode's a really important thing for fighting games. It always has been, and it's like it's it's just it's just not done very well. It's like minimal effort was put into it. Can I say, as so. I think about it actively right now, and this might be an article I end up writing as. As I, I investigated further, but is there a case where you say uh, in Street Fighter, bring back the unlockable characters? I know that's scary at first, but I had a lot of fun figuring out how and then and then trying to play through the arcades with different characters to unlock the new ones, right? Because in vanilla Street Fighter 4, you couldn't get the characters unless you played through and beat it with certain requirements met, like don't throw a punch or don't throw a you know block or beat it with this character or whatever. And and my main was the very last one you would unlock, if I recall correctly, because you had to get Something everybody like else. That, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. That felt like progress. Now, I know everybody wants to jump in and be able to play as the character that they want, but there's plenty of blocks to the characters you're able to play in terms of DLC content. And, and when they run uh, these free trials they'll just give you a handful to get you to come in so uh, or, or I don't know I, I had a lot of fun unlocking them I wonder though is that too much of a, of a block to the players that just want to get in there and start training with their character they don't want to be bothered with single player content I don't think that the concept is a problematic thing because it's like a, I look at like survival mode and what they've done in adding all the items and other stuff like that. And that's actually cool. That that makes the gameplay more fun. It's like, do I want to spend like, you know, and get like all of my meter back or half of my life back or whatever and spend an item on it? I think you can take that and iterate it on your single player content that way. Like, hey, I need help with arcade mode. Uh, let me unlock like, you know, um, Sagat's eye patch, which gives me 50% more health or a damage boost or whatever. Can I use some of my boost here to get through arcade mode? That's mm-hmm. actually fun and it, it increases as you like to call the dopamine drips because there's multiple ways to consume the game at that point you can do missions you can do you know any kind of thing to to give yourself fight money or anything like that there's a million ways to to modernize street fighter and make it an actual experience versus like i'm just playing against the computer and like i'm hitting a button and just kind of waiting for them to die and then nothing happens oh. you know and it's just it's just nothing happens it's like you're literally just facing the computer and it's like where's the where's the presentation where's the polish where's anything where's the drive that that makes me feel like this is this is important and significant and like i'm making progress when i do these steps and why like it matters that i get this extra life back or this extra meter back and I, I think you're primarily what comes to my mind is survival mode in Street Fighter Five and yes. how like just empty of a process. And it was like all it was was boring until it was frustrating. And so yes. even when even when they updated it and add a little bit more to it with uh, with items and things like that uh, down the line, 
uh, I, like even then, I was, it was such a sour taste in my mouth that I, I gave it a try, like maybe just to be able to write about it a bit, but I never wanted to go back to survival mode. It was just such a time slog. Uh, I mean, at times the game felt like a time slog, but uh, yeah, like you really need to think about that, which every game is based on now, that feeling of set up something that's meaningful that makes your players want to pursue it and give them that reward and get them on that cycle. Like survival mode just missed that boat completely. Yeah, and you look at Mortal Kombat with stuff like the Crypt mm -hmm. and other things. And, of course, a single-player campaign that's compelling. People went through and just did the Crypt to do it because it was fun. Um, and you look at how well the NRS games sell, and it's like it's very clear that that you need to kind of redo how you do your single-player content. I mean, Street Fighter Five is just a hallmark of how to do single-player content completely wrong. <laughs> and I can't think of a single part of, of Street Fighter Five single-player content where it's like, oh, this is a standout moment that's great. Like, even the story mode, it's freaking Bison playing chess or some crap like that. Like, I played through it twice, and I still can't put, make heads or tails like half of the crap that's going on in there. The only thing I remember is, like, just standout moments of, like, Zangief, you know, blocking... A katana with his chest hair and, and like some of the dolls with, with the, his chest hair that's the most yeah. important part of the story i mean there's some standout moments and stuff but the thing is just not cohesive at all and i again it's to me it's just it's another thing of like okay don't ever do that again is pretty much what it comes down to like this was just a massive colossal failure from a single player standpoint i don't and, think they will do it again though it, it, yeah. it, well did you have an important part to, to get no, to that? okay no, i don't think that they will do that again because what happened with street fighter 5 to me felt like um, again, uh, the core of it was it was super rushed and they had to get stuff out there. So what they seemed to do was uh, take like kind of hollow imitations of what they were seeing other people do with things like yes. having an in-game economy, having a cinematic story mode, all of that kind of stuff, a, a survival mode. They were trying to imitate the things that they've seen work, but it didn't have that, that uh, actual substance in it that made it good. It was like... I liken it to like a little brother or sister seeing a bigger sibling tell a joke and seeing that joke land and they go, I know that the joke landed and I and I want to have people laugh and, and me be the center of attention. So they tell the same joke like Im immediately later, but they lack the understanding of the timing or the fact that it was just spoken and then just said. And then no one laughs at their joke and they go, I don't know why. It's well, it's because they, it, even though you told the same joke, there was not the same substance behind it. There's so much yeah. more to it. And so it's like a, a hollow imitation of what that was. Yeah. I cannot agree more with the, the words hollow imitation mm -hmm. of what we saw them doing and stuff and a lot of reasons for that but again we just don't want to see that happen again right. like it's just that it's you, you, it's it's shocking that games that are 30 years old are, are around that timeline are better than Street Fighter 5 a modern game for single player content it's just it's awful but you moving should on be here. standing on their shoulders mm -hmm. not like looking up at them and yes. <laughs> yeah Yes. Uh, and there's some exceptions and stuff. I, 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 to give a little bit of credit, I do think some of the character story modes are really cool. Uh, I like Colleen's. I like Rose's. Uh, I like G's and um, uh, Monat's. And there's a few ones. Like Sagat's is great. You know, there's a few ones that are really good, but a lot of them are just not memorable. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when you're having that, it's just kind of like, eh, whatever. All right. So last thing, uh, fourth thing is no major technical errors. <laughs> Uh, real quick, uh, <laughs> black eyes here. Should we have to here. say it? No, but uh, you know what? <laughs> you flubbed up. We're gonna say it. This is your penance. <laughs> yes. Eight frames of input delay. Load times. Matchmaking. Root kit. Netcode <laughs> issues. Uh, we could probably do four hours alone. Uh, of, of a show here on the numerous technical issues that this game has had uh, and it's time to come out of the Cyberpunk 2077 error for Capcom's fighting games and actually released a polished product here, Capcom. Uh, I'm not saying Street Fighter 6 needs to be perfect, 
because uh, no game is, right? Uh, but we should have a fairly polished experience here going into it where things like the shop, which is a huge selling point for your game, actually works. And you can buy DLC characters and buy costumes and other things like that instead of having to grind story mode uh, it, with, with pure insanity because uh, one of the, the, the starts of Street Fighter V is like, oh, people are like, hey, I want a certain color. Well, you were supposed to be able to buy that stuff from the shop and you couldn't do that because the shop didn't work. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you had to grind survival mode if you wanted to unlock you know, uh, a, a color. And I remember a bunch of, of pro players being like, this sucks. Like, I just want to like have my color and like, you know, uh, you could get a bunch of fight money just for completing like whatever. Right. And you could have easily bought those colors and it's like, Oh, that's nice. But it's like, no, that didn't work. You had to grind survival. You could not do it any other way. And it's just like, what, you know, um, DLC characters were not released on time, you know, and it was, it was just like, okay, these characters are coming. Like we know we have a small launch roster. Don't worry. They're coming right away. Oh, well, they're not coming right away. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's our shops. Ah! So anyway, uh, CFN, your much hype system, which right now is freaking awesome. CFN is fantastic was not really functioning at launch pretty much at all. Like, to go in there and look at pretty much anything, it was like, oh, guess what? CFN does not freaking work. Um, you're lucky if your matchmaking works. You're lucky if you don't get matched with the same person seven times in a row. A bunch of other stuff. Again, CFN is great now, but these are, like, just, like, you're playing an incomplete game. You're basically playing a, a, a incomplete beta at this point in time. And, and oh, it was awful. And, and I just want to look at like games like Resident Evil 8, which I know you're playing, uh -huh. Devil May Cry 5, Monster Hunter World. If you can do this for your other major franchises, why the hell can't you get your crap together for fighting games? Because this is not just Street Fighter V. It's Marvel 3 not shipping with lobbies. It's Street Fighter Cross Tech and Rollback Code breaking the audio and causing desyncs on disc DLC and so much more. It shouldn't be this hard to delay a game a few months and iron out all these issues. And again, this is what we're seeing with Street Fighter VI. But I want to make this loud and clear because I don't want to see this crap happen again. Yes. I'm tired of it. I'm really freaking tired of it because it, 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 I think Marvel Infinite launched in a fairly complete state. But, but for me, I mean, for games that took hold in the community, it feels like it's been since Street Fighter IV since we've had a complete launch for a fighting game from Capcom. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just, it's that's too damn long. Like, it's too many misses when we should just basically always be getting hits. Now, do you think that with what we've seen from Capcom, especially in Season 5, with the new approaches, with the updates, and how they've been releasing DLC characters in the last, you know, let's say after Kage, <laughs> after the, uh, the the last major... Uh, time with the, uh, the 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 radio silence and doing things differently with all that information and with the kind of problems that we're talking about here and they're they're mm -hmm. they're they're not easy to fix but they're simple and I think you can see you can see them right they're not some mystery it's just a matter of doing the work better I think but I think Capcom might know. I don't want to lead you too much I want to ask do you think that with Street Fighter 6 most or all of these boxes will be checked I, I mean, based on history, you, you have to be terrified, right? Like, I, I mean, I want to give Capcom the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I really love Street Fighter V. I'm not joking when I say it's my, my favorite Street Fighter game. But, I mean, I mean, you look at Marvel 3, you look at Cross Tech, and you look at Street Fighter V, and it, it, it's just like, you, how are you supposed to have faith in that? Like, yeah. it's, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. I, I really hope it is. And, I mean, I'm going in with, like, I'm, I really hope, but like just saying that that's going to be the case, it's like, why would I think that? So I, it sucks to say that, but yeah. 
Yeah, I, well, despite your <laughs> relatively pessimistic answer there, I, and as I think about it, and you guys know, if you've been following what I've written about Street Fighter and I've talked about this on the on the podcast, Street Fighter Five, I should say, uh, I, I've been upset and frustrated with a lot of it, of course. Uh, all that said, I do have faith that I do have faith that Capcom has heard uh, because I've seen them here on other fronts. And I guess I should say specifically Capcom's fighting game department because a lot of their other departments, as you showed uh, earlier, have done their job relatively well. Uh, I do think that they can, they've heard that. They've heard it from, from, from places like Event Hubs, from places like Twitter, from, from all over the place. Uh, they're fans. They've been listening to them more. And, and I think they care about Street Fighter, and they've been reminded since whatever the nightmare was for us when Street Fighter V launched and had its first few years, can you imagine what the nightmare was like for Capcom in the offices responding to all this and dealing with all of this? And, and you Ooh, know, boy. right. So I, I think that, one, they still want this franchise to work. I think that's been Street Fighter V has obviously been successful enough to warrant more, and I think this will continue. I, I can't see them not learning the lessons here with as loud as we've been whining, as, as, as hard as it's been, and as obvious, not easy, but obvious as many of the issues are. There, a lot of them are routine things that you just expect to be in a game. It feels almost weird going down this list and saying things like, have a full game on launch, you know? But, but here we are saying it. I can't see them making that mistake twice. I know what I just said, guys. I know. Uh, please knock on all the wood in the world. So I get it. But I'm going to err on the side of a little optimism here and say I think that Street Fighter VI is going to clean up a lot of this. Now, knock wood on everything that you can around you, but that's what I think. Yeah. I, I hope it. I mean, some signs are, there's reason for some optimism again, because we know that the game got delayed, but again, a lot of the messaging, it hasn't been announced yet, and I, that's, you know, they're not going to talk about something that's not announced, right? That's not mm -hmm. what they do, but um, anyway, so, you know, we'll see, uh, but, but John, let's go ahead and jump over to our next topic here. Yeah. Uh, I know you got something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last week we talked about how anti-air, how you can make your anti-airs a little bit better. We also started getting into this, which I've, I've very much kind of uh, made this like something of a rudder or, or a central hub, if you will, uh, of how I want to think about tech and, and growing gameplay forward. And that is that everything sharpens everything. When you get better at one thing, it's going to make the other parts of your game stronger in various ways. And so last week we talked about how to have better anti-airs, and the gist of that was to um, not lock yourself into as many committed moves, similar to fireballs, but the same thing goes for uh, heavy, bunch, heavy, heavy attacks and things like that, that lock you in to, in a game where you're measuring by frames, those extra frames are often the difference between whether or not you're going to be able to knock somebody that jumps in at you uh, out of the air, or have to block them. You don't want to ever have to block either uh, because that's a loss in and of itself. Uh, but this time I want to talk about how to make your jump-ins more effective. And uh, it, because the rewards for that are astronomical in fighting games, right? Because the most obvious benefit of having a good jump-in is the damage you do. It's like tacking on a full extra fierce to your most damaging combo. You're going to get some corner carry. You might get some oaky. Uh, and, and you're lopping off a whole bunch of the opponent's life bar. So that's very obvious. And no wonder people want to do it for that kind of reward. But there's another... Uh, um 
in, 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 and also in Street Fighter, like jumping has not actually been as efficient as it is in Street Fighter V. Um, Capcom specifically designed jumps to be extremely powerful in this game. Uh, most characters have a very strong jumping combo that they can do. Mm-hmm. And so the incentive to jump, especially at certain points in the matchup, is much higher than it has ever been in a Street Fighter game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, this is the highest it's ever been. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, and the more that the, that the game rewards you for doing so, especially when you have input lag and things like that, making forward dashes and forward jumps a mix-up in and of themselves, no wonder people are going to do it, right? What I want to understand here, this is going to be something of like a journey where the pot at the end of the rainbow that's filled with gold or whatever you would want the pot to be filled with, uh, the the reward there is more effective and efficient jump-ins. But this process and to understand how we get there is filled with little lessons that hot damn, you understand those and it's going to refine so many parts of your gameplay from both your perspective as as an offensive and a defensive player. So I want to go through this, but just know at the end of this, the the overall lesson is how do we make our jump-ins more effective? But you got to learn a few things on the way to that. First thing I want to establish here is the other reason why people tend to jump, and it's not just for the benefit of the damage. Um, it's something that I've begun calling the uh, the half-court shot. When you are approaching someone, in, in Street Fighter specifically, and this, this applies across the board to most fighting games, but things get tweaked around, and we're talking about Street Fighter V here, but uh, when you approach someone, you have to get into their danger zone, where they could strike you, that that red zone in front of them where, hey, if you're there, there's the potential that one of their normals or one of their farther-reaching specials could hit you. And naturally, you don't want to be there. As you understand the game, you understand what it means to get hit, you're instinctually not going to want to be there. Um, And so a lot of people will get right up to the edge of the danger zone and without thinking about these things, they're not going, well, I'm at the edge of the danger zone, so now what do I want to do? They're instinctually going, well, I could try to navigate and weave through and thread all these needles, or I could jump over it and soar through the clouds and come down like like Thor with a hammer and do all this damage and get all this advantage. I think I'm just going to do that. That's a lot better, you know? Um, and so at the lowest level of, of, of like resolution of understanding this, you can just see your opponent as a, as a blob, you know, that, that could do damage and that you need to do damage to and say, I don't want to be in the red zone. I'm going to jump over it and try to do what I can. Now, obviously, if you're just jumping forward and they're ready to anti-air you, the cost is you're going to lose some life they're going to gain momentum and and whatever the benefits of their anti-air is you're going to have to hold those and what i'm coming down to or what what i one of the things i noticed as i went through this is that there aren't a lot of times where you actually want to be jumping forward right so it's it's more of a think about how to earn the forward jumps uh, the jump ins um and, and it's it's most of the time you're not supposed to do it, and so you shouldn't be doing it. That's that's the first kind of lesson that I... Uh, that one, one of the things I, I love that you said last week was um, uh, sticking out like a, a big normal and basically uh, like, you know, a big standing heavy kick uh, with Nikali comes to mind or pretty much anything, and almost like that's a fireball, mm-hmm. right? And, and waiting for that, and obviously, you know, the classic thing is that if you see a fireball, jump over it, right, and hit the other person. Uh, that can be a, a problem in this game especially, um, but that, that core tenet of fighting games, that if you see a fireball, jump over and hop over, well, it's, it's a very similar thing with those big normals. So to, to kind of, you know, bring this home for people, whenever you see one of those big, you know, Urian freaking handshakes or, you know, Nikali doing his double fist thing or what, a double hand thing, I guess. We're going to uh, call it the double fist thing from now on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Because <laughs> it definitely doesn't change it in the event hubs moves listings. The Nikali <laughs> double fist. How much damage does it do? 
<laughs> maybe it doesn't do damage. Maybe it's pleasurable. Anyway, no, never mind. <laughs> it gives certain characters so life sorry. back. Uh, um, but anyway, um, but uh, looking for those kind of attacks uh, and not laughing at them when you see them now, but looking for those kind of things and jumping in on them, that's one of the kind of the main ways you can establish um, not just jumping because it's a good idea because you think it's going to work, but like looking for that kind of stuff actively. Right. right? So that's part of earning the jump in. And, and as we're going to get to here, yes, it's, it's when you get your opponent to start committing to playing that way, to start throwing fireballs and have their focus somewhere uh, specific. Because uh, another way of thinking about this, oh, let me back up really quick and just say with that half court shot, it's like getting up to half court, seeing the rest of the players in front of you and saying, I don't want to mess with that. I'm just going to chuck the ball from half court. Low, res right. low low probability of making it though and so anyways but you can think about this um, it, it's so funny that you actually mentioned that because that's going on I love basketball and players like Trey Young and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry are kind of all doing that right now not quite half court but they're like shooting from the logo which is almost half court they're like they're looking they're doing exactly what we're talking about but they they're so good at doing it they're making it efficient but uh, it's because it, the net code in the NBA lets them do that kind of a thing where they have too much reward off of those kind of low resolution, low probability moves. And that's making it not fun for everybody else. Because now we don't get to play the game. We just have Steph get halfway and then throw the ball up. And like, anyways, uh, not, you know, unless a player is stunned or they're completely locked into a fireball. And, and well, I'm going to say, unless a player is stunned, your jumping is really not guaranteed, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. it's based on your opponent's reaction times. It's kind of like playing blackjack. You can, you're, you're never guaranteed the win, but you can uh, understand when the probability of success is the highest and then place your high bets at that time by counting cards, which I don't encourage, but you know, you, that, that's what you would do. In this, it's like, how do we count our Street Fighter cards and know when your opponent is least likely to be ready to anti-air you? That's the way you should be thinking about it, right? Not jumping instinctually because you're afraid of navigating certain waters, uh, and, and also not jumping because you're frustrated, although some of us just do that and I understand it, whatever, you gotta get it out. And you're probably aware that this is not what you should be doing when you're doing it, but there you go. I like but, how you say some of us, and you need to replace that with all of us. Because <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm really pissed off right now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to freaking jump. And that's like Sako, it's Daigo, it's everyone. It's like, yeah. you know what? You're going to rip that DP. You're going to do something because you're losing and you got to do something, even if it's the worst possible thing you can do. <laughs> exactly, so. exactly. So the, where we start, though, everything that you do sends a message to your opponent, manipulates them, and influences them in some way. The highest level of players are going to be more actively aware of what you're doing and thinking about it, let's say, with the forefront of their mind. But even lower level players are going to be influenced by what you're doing, and if they're not aware of that, you can see that as an advantage to you, because it means that they're probably not going to update their rhythm to counter what you're doing, and you can take advantage of that. That's, that's a benefit for you. And I would say just anybody that how would you put it like like kind of used to the water and if you had to put like a, a specific like mile marker here you might say like halfway through silver rank I think every player there and above has already gotten their instincts down for the Street Fighter atmosphere and many players that are below that rank too have but I, I would just say you can start to play this kind of a game with 
players like that. And, and the answer to players that haven't figured it out yet, they're probably just playing a one-player game where they're doing very low probability th things and you just got to identify the dumb things they're doing like not blocking on wake-up or ripping DPs constantly, get on the counter rhythm to that and just you know dial it in until the round's over kind of a thing. But we're talking about players that can be influenced and that's the majority of them. Um, and so what you do with where Street Fighter V's meta is right now, as we've talked about in recent episodes, as we watch, you know, like the, the, the CPT events play out and such, if you're playing footsies, man, and you are sticking out medium buttons. Why? Because we don't want to overcommit, right? We don't want to be fishing with those heavies and those crush counters because one, they can be crushed or they can be whiff punished more easily now in, in season five. And also because we don't want to get jumped in on as we learned last week. So you're using those medium buttons to catch potential forward dashes or to maybe get some whiff punishes in. Um, but what you're doing when you're doing that is that you are telling your opponent you are a wall, right? Mm -hmm. They have to, they, their, their opponent right now is, is, a, is a wall. And what do you do against a wall in Street Fighter? Well, you're probably going to back up. You can throw some fireballs at a wall right and you can go up and and the the natural counter if i'm seeing someone stick up a bunch of buttons that they are trying to catch my forward advances with i'm going to go up to them at max range and start pressing the higher priority crush counter buttons trying to catch those now not getting whiff punished you gotta you gotta space it right but the counter to that or a counter to that i should say is using those heavier buttons that we talked about mm -hmm. and like you were getting that like when you see your opponent start to do that, to make that change, you know that one, they see you as a wall. Do walls jump forward? Not so much. So they're probably not looking at you as someone who's gonna jump forward. They're looking at you as someone who's thinking about their forward advances. And yep. now you've got their focus on the horizontal. That's an advantage. And you have to know that, all right, right now, the deck is stacked a little bit in my favor. So if you see them tossing out those Urian handshakes, things along those lines, that's a time where you might consider jumping in. And if they're throwing fireballs, like that's the most Street Fighter, uh, you know, the counter to fireballs, the most obvious one is jumping over them. So that's one way you can manipulate and you'll know they're in that zone because you see them update to deal with what you're doing. Um, and that's really important. It's it's really tempting in this game, Street Fighter V, to just play the one-player game. It's, mm -hmm. it's beneficial. It works well. Mm -hmm. But you lack consistency there. If you're a Rashid player who mashes his face on the joystick, which is 98% of Rashid players, um, it's you're, you're pretty much going in there. And, I mean, Rashid can play a one-player game better than most characters in this, right? And just do stuff and hope it works. And if it doesn't, well, yeah, he, he's Rashid. He's got an EXDP and a bunch of other stuff where he can just kind of turn the tide of the matchup at a, at a you know moment's notice, right? Mm -hmm. It's, but what happens with that when you play that way is you have very inconsistent results. Yep. And I'm sitting here cracking up at, as you're talking about all this stuff and going, why didn't I remember this as I'm running? You know, the the, the sets that I've been playing recently. Why am this I not taking John's advice? All of us. Why am it's, I not taking uh, my oh, own advice when I play? Oh How many gosh. times have I been sitting there saying, "You stupid, dumb idiot! Why did you jump there?" I'm telling myself this as much as I'm telling you guys, which is why it's worthwhile knowledge, guys. You might go, yeah, duh, this is obvious. Yeah, but it's also not. And like, until you are perfect about anti-airs and jumping in, don't listen, listen a little bit. So, but I'm sorry, yeah, you were saying. Well, I remember Filipino Champ talking about this when I, I was talking to him about Street Fighter 4 and he was talking about adding new elements to his gameplay stuff. And he was saying like, look, like when you're adding new stuff in, it's it's all the other stuff is gonna gonna go to crap for a little while because you're trying to 
you're, you're trying to add new elements in. And this is like the stuff you're talking about is extremely fundamental. And so if you're actively aware of this, all of a sudden you might be much more susceptible to a dash up, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're like, okay, well, I'm really monitoring my footsies. I'm really doing this. And the opponent's sitting there like, man, this guy's juggling like eight things here trying to play neutral. It's Street Fighter Five. What is he doing? Dash up, kill, yep. you know, kind of thing. And what happens is like, you know, that, that you, you get used to that over time and you're like, okay, if I do like a random jab or a random thing here, like that stops the dash in. Plus I'm still able to play the neutral that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm still able to be very intelligent. And, and so you're going to get blown up for this stuff initially if it's a new thing for you or it's something you're more actively trying to do. That's mm -hmm. normal. What you don't want to do is go away from something, you know, work it's, works and is very efficient for you and your character. Um, you just want to like kind of take your lumps as I'm doing right now quite a bit with Rose. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. And, well, and the other thing to remember here is that this is not just the only way to play the game. This right. is how you set up a jump in to be more successful, right? So it's like right. you're not always going to be just sitting there as a wall. But when you are playing as a wall, that is a time where you can begin to prime your opponent in this particular way for being more susceptible to a jump in. Right, and at the same time, everything that we've gone over so far, like the the tendencies of when people want to jump, think about it this way: it's like if you are making the danger zone scary, you're going to make your opponent want to jump forward. That's something good to know, not only as the defender but also as the aggressor, because they're probably doing the same to you. Are they trying to make the danger zone scary so that you jump forward? That's not a good time for you to jump, right? And and mm -hmm. and the, like I said before, there are not a ton of times where you should be jumping forward. You need to be doing it when they're committed and uh, to, to the ground game and when their focus is in this particular area. There are a few other things, though, that as I've been doing some research, I, I was watching a Daigo video, for instance, where he has a little bit of a, of, of a tip in terms of being ready for people dashing forward or jumping forward. And that is, at least with stick players, um, that you can, especially those who have been playing for a long time, they can see there's a little, like if you're going to forward dash, you double tap the stick, right? Your character moves from that double tap. Um, yeah. And a lot of times people will duck before they jump. They'll have little tiny uh, uh, little movements that, that tip you off. And again, that's, that's huge. If you can predict when someone's going to jump or if they have a tell, uh, watch out. You're going to anti-air them all the time. So uh, some of the things you can do, though, is hide uh, the, those initial movements in like buffered moves. So like do a light kick and then jump and have that light kick cover any movement that your character might make. Uh, before jumping or dashing forward. Now you can't be obvious with this because then the light kick becomes your tell, but mixing it in in, in things like that uh, to, to not give your opponent any cues that you're about to move in on them is really important to, uh, to keep in mind. Another yeah, thing I, I love playing uh, Velociraptor here because whenever he gets super, he starts going like this yeah. because he's constantly buffering super like and it's like and he can't help himself like half the time. And uh, Dream King and I have talked to him about it a lot. Like, dude, like look at a few other options and he's gotten better about it now. But like a year ago or something like that, it was just like John would get super and he just like doing this constantly. And it's like, dude. Ease up a bit, man. Like, but how one, many? Like, how many over? Like, just normals that you stuck out there got supered because I was ready for it. Uh, for for about six months, you got us. And then, like, finally after six months, we realized that you weren't going to make an adjustment, that you were going to do it every single time. <laughs> and we're like, okay, let's just stick out a jab, and, like, he's going to super it, and I'm going to block, and I'm going to kill him. And so finally, like, it came around and stuff again, even though Nikali's super is insane. It's really good. Uh, but, but, uh, but you were also playing characters like Seth and Ryu and other things like that, so their supers are a little uh, slower, so easier to block and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but again, it, but it goes it goes hand-in-hand hand with what you're saying with the tell, though. You, if you can see that the person 
person gyrating on the controller, basically, um, are gyrating <laughs> maybe with the it, their character gyrating. My their goodness, character's ducking a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> if you can see that, it's a very obvious tell of, of probably what they're buffering, right? Mm-hmm. And and looking for that, it's it's hard to do it in the heat of the moment, and it's, it's so important to stay calm. But uh, picking up on that, especially in key scenarios where something is super efficient, the way to pick up on it is when something is super efficient, right? When you have super, you're going to do massive damage if it lands. That's a very efficient play to spend it at that point in time, especially if it's going to kill. So looking for those, not all throughout a match because there's so many juggling pins to handle, it's looking for it at those key moments in a match where it's like, okay, they've got super. Let me really see if they're sitting there buffering it, right? And then try to bait it out. Well, and then the what I would say to that and, and that I still do that, and I don't, I don't know that I have made much of a correction in terms of, of whether or not I'm going to be buffering it because it's a very low cost for me and low risk to be buffering super you know it's part of my movement if anything and it, and, it, and but when you know that i'm buffering super i'm fine with that i want you to know that because it also means that you're probably not throwing out fireballs right now and that takes an entire option for you off the table and if you do throw the fireball hey i'm buffered all i have to do is hit one button and that happens a lot or people will just throw out a heavy button i'm like well, okay and sometimes i'll catch medium buttons with it so it's been very beneficial to me because like we said at the beginning of this everything you do affects players and that's me pulling on you know pulling on that that bull ring in a certain way trying to manipulate you that doesn't mean you have to to bend to it but like you do have to respect it and so um that that's a manipulation tactic um as well as a crazy nikali <laughs> tactic um but the, the other thing i wanted to get to is that so many times i know that i have missed anti-airs not because i didn't see it but and not because i didn't mentally react fast enough i mean maybe but because I physically wasn't able to react fast enough because where my my position on the control on the on the joystick was was far away from where my character's anti-air uh, um, uh, you know command was so like if my character has a forward motion DP and I'm walking backwards I am not as ready and not as quick to DP as if I'm walking forwards all things the same uh, and this was in Street Fighter 4 the opposite was true because my anti-air with Goken was was a backwards motion Tatsu so if I was walking forward there were times where I knew I would have gotten the, the DP had I been walking backwards but I was walking forwards and just that travel time which is not much but we know that frames are important here uh, it was enough to make me not get the anti-air now you can sharpen that a lot and you should but the fact of the matter is there's a difference, and you should know what your opponent's anti-airs are. Now, if it's Birdie's crouching medium punch, and all he has to do is, or, or like Falk's single input, Ed's single input, that's its own thing. Those characters are really good at anti-airs, and it's going to be harder. But if you know a character's anti-air is a certain motion or something like that, or, or their stick needs to be at a certain place, and they're not there because they're moving in a certain direction or doing something your odds are higher. The deck is stacked a little bit more in your favor. Being aware of these little types of things are are crucial. And you know it. You know how much uh, uh, the little frames count. You know, so those are a few things to pay attention to. Small things like covering your your movements and and not tipping your opponents off earlier than you need to. Being aware of where they need to be on the control stick in order to do the move. And I don't know if it translates to pad players much. Maybe they're they're it's it's easier for them. It is what it is. 
but those are some little tips. And then the bigger thing is just understanding that whole like, kind of psychological push and pull that goes on where you're sending information and data constantly back and forth and manipulating each other, observing the, the rhythm and how much of an influence you're making. And man, I got to say, there are few things as satisfying as setting up a game plan, manipulating your opponent in real time, and then having that game plan work out, especially with something as awesome as a jump in. It's like when you earn a jump in, that is one of the sexiest things in, in fighting games or in Street Fighter. It's like, so, so this is well worth it. And imagine how many more rounds, how many more matches are you going to win for not only getting successful jump ins, but the, the bigger benefit here is probably not jumping when you shouldn't be jumping because there's not a ton of opportunity to jump forward, especially the higher up you get. But if you're throwing away opportunities and you're hanging yourself because you're jumping when you shouldn't be, that's probably the bigger takeaway here. But, you know, what's sexier is getting that damage and such. So there you have it. The idea of how to make your jump-ins more efficient. Try this stuff out. Maybe maybe do it in casuals if you're, especially like we said earlier, if you're not, you know, if you want to practice this kind of a thing, maybe you're going to do a little more of like, I just want to make myself a wall. And that's not always the beneficial thing to do. But if you want to just practice doing that, go into casual and, and, and do that. So you're not risking your sweet, sweet LP that's more important than anything else in the game. I understand. But try it out. <laughs> see if you don't get a little better. See if you don't improve your win rate. And uh, and let us know, guys. You know, send us some uh, some feedback on that. If this kind of stuff is helping you out, if uh, if you're seeing any, if you have any tips that go along with this, we'd love to hear it. Comments, send us PMs, Twitter, anything. Yeah, actually, two things that, that blow me up, um, in particular with jump ins, are uh, when I'm looking to activate my V trigger, uh, like because almost everyone in the game, you know, looks to get a normal out there yeah. and activate, and it's good to try to kind of sniff that out and then jump in at the opponent at that point in time, because again, getting a V trigger out is a highly efficient move, and so basically you're kind of baiting the opponent to try to get their V trigger out and then jumping on them. That's good. Uh, the other thing is when I'm in a corner and they've done their, you know, their their block string or whatever, and they've gotten their pressure, and I've dealt with it. And now it's my turn, right? And so I immediately want to hit a normal or do something to get in on them. And that's oftentimes when a jump is coming from a high-level player because they're like, look, it's your turn to, you know, it's, it's your opportunity to get me uh, get yourself out of the corner, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to do but that by any means possible. Now is a great time for a jump because you're more than likely going to be hitting something here or trying to to assert your authority that you've been granted by Street Fighter. Ha, 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 maybe not, right? Um, so those are, uh, like, two quick examples that you might, you know, be able to work on. Uh, in particular, like, you monitor for those moments in a game and kind of, like, jump at that time. Um, jumping is good in this. You know, it might sound scrubby to, like, want to jump and stuff like that I, if you're an old-school Street Fighter player, but with this new-school game, jumping is very, very good. And what John said here, knowing when to do it, it's huge. Mm -hmm. So there it is. Absolutely. And, and you can refine this for yourself and explore more opportunities. The, the broad idea here is that anytime that you're distracted and you're not thinking about the skies, that's a like figure out why and figure out how to do that to your opponent. So that's, that's the kind of the, the sauce, the, uh, the way to go about doing it. If you want to figure out how to be even more efficient, effective, efficient, then uh, that's the way to go about it. All right. I like that. I like that. So <laughs> that's going to wrap us up for this week of the Button Ups podcast. Once again, thank you all so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks guys.